Well, let's, uh, let's pray a little bit and then let's get into 1 Peter 4. Father, thank you so much for this chance to, this freedom to be able to meet together without harassment, to study your word without worry. Help us to not take for granted that the God of the universe has spoken to us in his word and has spoken to us clearly. Father, I pray that you will speak clearly uh, this this after this morning and when we deal with love and we deal with serving help us to look to see how we can love better and how we can serve better this coming week in Jesus name amen so first question um, Peter continues his letter by urging us to live for God and love each other do you consider yourselves a loving purpose, a person? And I'm not going to ask why or why not, but I'm going to ask a separate question. How do you know that that's being loving? Do you consider yourself a loving person? Garrett? Do you consider yourself a loving person? No. Why not? <laughs> well, and it's interesting. He gives us the second question to think about, and I and for a minute I sat there going, well, "What does this question have to do with the first question?" You hear someone say, "The end of the world is near." How do you usually respond? Um, this is a favorite, uh, a favorite saying, not these words specifically in our society, but the thought pattern behind what you hear is pretty much the same. The end of the world is near. What's your response? I wish mine was. Because mine is usually, are you kidding me? We're going to kill the planet if we don't stop using fossil fuels. We're going to kill the planet if we don't stop using plastic. We're going to kill... Okay, I'm not saying anything about the, the fact that as, as humans created in God's image and given dominion over the planet that we should be good stewards of what we have. But I'm going to be honest with you. Nothing we can do can destroy this planet. Because this planet has already been planned to be destroyed and it ain't going to be by carbon fossil fuels and it ain't going to be by plastic it's going to be by fire and we ain't got no part of that so for me i kind of roll my eyes and go yeah whatever but but that's their mindset right if we don't if we don't do something the world's going to end and life is going to end and everything as we know it's going to cease to exist why? Because everything as they know it is going to cease to exist. But it's not going to be by their anything that they do or don't do. So let's jump to the text. And this is interesting because we've covered 
tons of verses that could each week that could have been broken up into different sections, and we, we could have gone six months on First Peter alone. And now he's narrowing it down to five verses for this week. But it's a very important five verses. So First Peter 4, verse 7 to 11. The end of all things is at hand. Hmm. Just talked about that, right? Therefore, remember when the Bible says therefore, it's there for a reason. Okay? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound thinking and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has a gift, multiply it, employ it in the serving of one another and as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is one speaking the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God might be glorified through Christ Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and might forever and ever. Amen. So why does Peter charge his readers to be serious and watchful in prayer? In my Bible, it says sound thinking and sober in spirit. Why? All right, kind of goes right back to where we started, right? The end of all things is coming. Therefore, because the end of all things is coming, you need to do what? What? Watch. What else do we need to do? Be prepared. What are the two ways that he says to be prepared? What? Okay. Sound thinking. Some of your Bible say something different. Sober. What? Self control. Sober. Sober. Uh, the other one on mine says sober. Uh, be sober in spirit. Sober in spirit. Um, sound thinking. Okay. Your emotion shouldn't guide you as we see the end approaching. Your emotions shouldn't guide you. Sound thinking, rational thinking. What scripture say? Do you believe it? We say this is God's word. Do you really believe this is God's word? You go to an evangelical church. So the, the, the key to being evangelical is, is that you, you say that you believe God's word is God's word. But do you live, are, are you, what, are, what do they call it, a, uh, a functional atheist? Are you a functional atheist? You, you know all the right words, but you don't live like you believe what it says. Keep your, sound, your thinking sound. And what's the whole purpose of sound thinking and being sober in spirit? What's it supposed to drive you to? Uh-huh. Not political activism. Not cut, not creating conflicts between people because we're called to be to live at peace with all men as far as it is with us. But all of your sound thinking and all of your sober spirit should drive you 
to pray. That was a hard one this week. Because when I see what's going on in the world around me, I don't want to pray. I want to do something. Am I praying as much or more than I'm doing? The answer is no. You've got to think about that. Um, James 5, one of, the, one of the verses that he ties back to is James 5, 7, and 8. Um, he tied back to a couple of others, but this one kind of stood out. Can't get my fingers to work today. Therefore, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the soil, being patient about it until it receives its early and late rains. You too, you too, be patient. Strengthening your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. So patience is part of that sound thinking. So what kind of love does Peter command believers to demonstrate? Fervent love. What's that mean? Okay, if you read the Sunday school lesson, it gives you the the answer in the Sunday school lesson. Uh, fervent means to stretch or to strain. The, the idea is that you're an athlete who, after uh, uh, nine and a half kilometers in a ten kilometer race, you are stretching to get to the finish line. Um, is your love for other people feel like that? goes back to that are you a loving person because my answer to that question was not that's why I have a wife who is a loving person because it reminds me every day of what my love for other people should be like anybody who knows my wife knows that's true but it's God's reminder to me every day that I am not that my love is not as fervent as it should be. So our love should be fervent. And, and this kind of leads to the next question because the next part of the verse says, um, because keep your fervent, uh, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. So what's the difference between covering our sins and excusing them. Pam and I sat on the couch and had this conversation yesterday. What's the difference between covering and excusing? Because it's that tension, yes? Of trying to understand how the two work together. Because we're called right here to that, that if we love somebody, our love should cover a multitude of sins. And, and he links to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12, when he says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. So are you excusing somebody's sin because your love for them covers that sin? So let, let's make this practical because too often... In these, um, for lack of a better term, these spiritual moments, 
we tend to not see how it applies to everyday life. So let's make this a little more practical. So um, you know that somebody in our church is having adultery. Matthew 18 says that if you know somebody is in sin, you go to them, you speak to them. If that doesn't work, you take one with you. If that doesn't work, you take it to the church, right? We, 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 we understand that. We've done that. We've lived that. Somebody's living in adultery. Do we, do Matthew, do, do we follow Matthew 18? Yeah. And we've experienced... Uh, we've experienced the Matthew 18 principle in, in, in practice in other ways in our church. Uh, is somebody, uh, somebody, uh, you spend a lot of time creating a gift for somebody. And you give it to them, and they don't give you a thank you card, and they say nothing about it, and they don't ever make mention of it again. Uh, is that a sin on their part? Could it be a sin on their part? Maybe. Because we're called to give thanks for everything. It could be a sin. Could it just be an oversight? Is either one of those something that we're going to take to the elders? Is that going to be something that we're going to do Matthew 18 over? Why? Why? Why not? I have been sinned against. It's not a habitual Okay. These are one of those moments where my personal offense can't be pointed to as a biblical sin and the love I have for that person should cover it. Does that excuse them for what they did? No. But does that mean I treat them differently because of what they did? Are you loving them fervently? Are you straining towards them? Even when they're not straining towards you. And Greg, something there too. I was just, just thinking about practically. Um, you know, that happens all the time. But the mature person does allow love for that person to quote, cover their sins, not the covering of Christ. In this way, you just explained it. But how often does an immature believer? allow something like that to even take it as far not to speak to them right. in the same church. Yeah. It's extremely, or that person offended me over something that might even be more serious than mm-hmm. what you've done, but it's still not Matthew 18, you like it, right. not at all. Because, yeah. it, it, I, I mean, we can all, I think, point to times that we, we look back and go, yeah, I did sin against, I didn't know that, but I can see how I could have whatever it is you give a good example and so it's very immature as a body for us not to allow to to, to do this love covers multitude of sins in this way as we deal with one another well and, and up to this point um, and, and John there's not an attack on John or any of the others okay but has something like this in the teaching that we've done in the 15 years has something like this been presented like this before do you see understand fervent love for one another and love covering a multitude of sins do you understand that now do you understand it differently today than you did before you walked in here this morning okay there are times when you're sinning and you don't realize you're sinning 
because we don't even know our own hearts. Scripture says we don't even know our own hearts. Only God knows our heart. Only He knows. And, and, and the psalmist says uh, that, that, please forgive my unknown sins. But now you're without excuse. Because now you know. Now I know. That, that's where this comes in. For so long we've been... Folks, there's 66 books. Talk to Pam this morning. How long... Don't answer this. How long have we been in the book of Hebrews? What day did we start the book of Hebrews? Do you, do you remember, Pam? July 4th. was the day that John preached. July 4th, 2021 was the day that John preached the introduction to Hebrews. And, and it's not because I remember all of this. It's because I see every one of the sermons as he's posted and the day that he posts it. So this doesn't make me extra smart, okay? This makes me having access to information you don't have. Um, we've been in Hebrews for two years, folks. This July, not quite. Almost two years. But it'll be, it'll be two years in July... So a year and 18 months, 19 months. We might finish by tomorrow. Well, I mean, Hebrews chapter 11 is taking us a long time. We can blame it on Hebrews 11. That's right. We can blame it on Hebrews 11. But this is my point. 66 books in the Bible, which has taken us two years to get through Hebrews. John, have we studied First Peter from the pulpit before? Have we done First Peter in Sunday school before? So every time you get to a book that you may have read through and you may, in your daily reading, you're reading through this and going, oh yeah, that's good, oh that's nice, oh that's good, oh that's nice. And never even come across this and understood this this way. So up to this point, in some ways, your ignorance has been a shield for you. And me. But working through First, First Peter has helped me to understand there's a lot of things that I've been shielding myself from. And love for one another is one of those things. And that is one reason why we need to cover each other in terms of love. Because there's a really good chance that they don't have no idea that they're sitting. This particular Yeah. You're exactly right. Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. What's biblical hospitality look like? Opening your home, okay. Welcoming. Not 
It's interesting he lists a number of verses here, Genesis 18, 1 to 8, Deuteronomy 14, 28 to 29, 1 Timothy 3, 2. Um, he says here to uh, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Um, did anybody read Genesis 18? I mean, recently. Um, what's the story about Genesis 18? What's the story about? God and two angels show up. Yep. Yahweh appears to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent of the door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing nearby. And he saw and he ran from the tent door to meet them. And he bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please don't pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under a tree. Let me bring a piece of bread that you may refresh your hearts. And after that, you may pass on since in such manner you have passed by your servant. And they said, do it. Now, kind of overlook these things, but we come back to, to see this in a different light because what's Abraham doing? Be specific. What's he doing? What's he saying he's going to do? He's going to wash their feet. Wash their feet. That's taking care of physical needs. He's going to feed them. He says a piece of bread, but what's he actually do? Kills a calf. Kills a calf. What's a big, what's a big old piece of bread? Yeah. He tells his wife to, to get out the flour and make a couple of cakes, bread cakes. Kills the calf. No, it's not just a piece of bread. He provides an entire meal for them. What else does he do? Provide shelter. Rest yourself under the tree. Um, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 14, and, and it's interesting that he went here. Twenty-eight says, "At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year, and shall deposit it within your gates." Now listen to this next piece. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, who's the Levites? Okay priests and the servants in the temple or in the in the in, in the, the synagogue and, the, and later it would be the synagogues but the Levites were the servants the, the people who worked in the house of the Lord whether it's those who took care of the daily business or those who taught the word these are the people that he's talking about Levites because he has no portion or inheritance among you the sojourner, hmm, sojourner. How does that tie to First Peter? To those who are scattered. The, the, the very first verse. Right, first verse. And he covers it again in chapter 3, right? He mentions sojourner and alien again, chapter 3. We are sojourners and aliens. Um, and the sojourner. And the orphan. And the widow who are within your gates shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that Yahweh your God may bless you in all of your work. What, is it, what are our gates? Okay, 
well, let me step back from that and say, um, are, as, as, as a church, as, as people who are Christians, are we supposed to worry about the orphan and the widow and the sojourner in society as a whole? Yeah, you agree with that, right? We're called to care for any widow, any any orphan, right? But what's it say here? In your gates. I, I'm just trying to take this a little more practical for you. Uh, for us at Grace, in your gates. Who's in your gates? Okay, if we're if we're talking about it from First Peter's perspective. First Peter chapter four is talking to who? Believers. So who's in your gates? Other believers. believers. Let's be more specific. Who's in your gates? Okay. People of grace are in your gates, folks. We could say who's in the aerobics room? Yeah. Orphan generally means uh, a child without parents. But we've had, in, in the 15 years of grace, we've had numerous children that have only one parent. In a way, they are orphans. Are you helping to care for them? Are you looking for opportunities to care for them? And I'm not saying go out and make twice as much work for yourself. I just spent um, four weeks reading through a book called You're Only Human, dealing with our, our the the creation mandate of God created us with limits. So we can't do everything. Okay? But some of us are doing nothing. This is going to be real. When that orphan, when that widow comes across your path, are you just, hey, how's it going? Keep moving? Or are you, hey, guess what? Come over for dinner tonight. You want to come over for dinner on Wednesday? These are the people that are in our gate. And yes, we need to care for those outside of our gates because that's what believers do. But God calls us to care for those inside of our gates. Hey, Greg. Just yes. Something application hospitality. Hospitality is a great means God uses to, to keep us godly. If your home's always open, then and it just creates an environment in your family where they become hospitable one, but where, I mean, in all honesty, a lot of people don't have people ever because they don't want to come to their home. Yeah. Not because yeah. their home might be dirty or anything like that. It's just they don't want to see you see what's going on in their home. And then by being hospitable, always, there's always this bit of accountability of godliness. You know? And in a church, it creates an environment where you can call elders, deacons, things like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to look like you're walking the walk of a believing person when people don't see the real you. It's easy to hide behind that facade one hour a week, or if you come to Sunday school, two hours a week. A whole lot harder to hide that when people are constantly in your house. 
Um, Pam loves people. I don't. But you know why I love the fact that Pam constantly wants people in her house? It's accountability. Because I can't hide those ugly parts very well. John and Kristen have seen. They, of people at Grace, they've probably spent more time in our house than just about anybody. And they've seen my ugly parts. And it's not easy to hide that when people are, are in your business. But you know what? As believers, people should be in your business. We're truly the body of Christ. If you are the arm and I am the leg and you're the foot and you're the hand, you're the eye and you're the ear, we have to be together. Because sometimes in our selfishness, we don't see the things that are wrong. And you know what? It's not even John coming to me and saying, you know what, you really should get this together. Because in the 15 years that I've known John, he's never done that once. But the man lives in such a way that God convicts me over my behavior because of what I see from him. That's why you need people in your house. First, verse nine, uh, verse ten and eleven, and at, at, as each one has received a gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is one speaking the oracles of God, and whoever serves is one serving by the strength that God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom belongs the glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Uh, verse ten, first half of the sentence. I, I am not, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, has spent chapters talking about spiritual gifts. And I'm not going to get into the conversation about this spiritual gift and that spiritual gift. And, okay, But I like Peter's perspective. He's going to take the high road and he's going to take it. He's going to make it very simple for you. Because as mouthy as he was, he's a very simple man. What's the first sentence tell you? Everybody. Everybody has a spiritual gift. Everybody has a spiritual gift. You got one. I've got one. Tony's got one. John's got one. Larry's got one. Lisa's got one. Everybody's got a spiritual gift. Now, well, which spiritual gift do I have? Make it real easy for you. Look at the rest of look at verse eleven. There are two spiritual gifts. I should say there's two categories of spiritual gifts. What are they? Speaking and serving. Well, you know what? I can't do what you do. I can't get up in front of teaching people. Guess what? Congratulations. You don't have the gift of speaking. You have the gift of serving. Now do it. Is that easy enough for you? We're not talking about what's complicated here, folks. And if you're not using your gift, 
that God has given you, you're sinning. Because you're being disobedient. Now, I don't encourage anybody to get up here and do this for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's hard work. Number two, every person who stands up here and delivers a lesson to you is first and foremost accountable to God for every word that they speak. And that accountability keeps you focused on making sure you are saying and doing the right thing. You can ask any one of the elders, every time I teach something, I'm going and saying, did I miss it? Did I screw something up? Do I have to issue a retraction next week? Right? You've got to, if you're doing this, it has to be right. So if you are called to teach and you have the gift to be up here doing this, and, and you have the wherewithal of standing before God and saying, yes, I was faithful. And I, and I am scared every day that I stand up here that I'm not going to be faithful. John, would you agree with that? As a man who stands up in front of us week after week after week after week. He is accountable to God for every word that comes out of his mouth. Just like every person who sits in the Sunday school class as a teacher is accountable to God for everything that comes out of their mouth. That is a gift of God to speak here. Now, this is the important piece. Is this Greg's gift? No. Who gives the gift? It's on loan to me, which means he can take it back anytime he wants it. So I better do a good job with it. Because when it gets to the end, he's going to say, here's what you did. This is what I expected. Do they match up? And the one thing you don't want is to get to the end and have him say, Dude, you owe me. It's because the purpose in our gifts are to obviously serve one another, but more importantly, to help you glorify. That's verse 11, right? What's the point? Verse 11, what's the point? So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. If you don't walk out of here every day, if you don't walk out of the Sunday sermon every day and look and say that God is great and Jesus is great and what he has done for us is magnificent, then we need to stop what we're doing and somebody else needs to take over. Because getting into the word should drive you to give glory to God. Just like your sufferings and the things that you struggle with are the things that should prove your faith. Why? For God's glory. I can't I can't not go over go to first John. So turn with me to first John. Because 
this is this is it's too connected we can't walk away from this first john 4 7 to 21 and i'm not going to read all the verses but if you haven't read first john 4 7 to 21 especially after this lesson in first peter you need to read first john 4 7 to 21 because it talks about fervent love for one another. And Pam and I were having this discussion yesterday. Your fervent love for somebody else is a reflection of what? 1 John 4, 7 to 21. God's love for us. And if your love for others doesn't measure up, your question should be, do I understand God's love for me? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I don't have to read any more to help you understand that. So, our obligation that we are to fervently love one another, how does 1 John connect to that? It's an evidence, right? Uh, people say, it's not my works that saves me, it's my works that show that I'm saved. Your love for other people is one of those things that shows that, God, that, that you understand God's love for you. And we're not sinned against nearly as much as he was sinned against. No. We don't have the title of him either. Yeah. I'm going to close with this. It's hard because there's so much here we could do. Um, the text reminds us that life on earth is brief and that we should focus on eternal realities. Why is this so hard? What happened this week that made it so hard to focus on the eternal and brought you so focused on what's going on right now? So... The whole process of, of the study of First Peter is understanding the inheritance we've been given. To understand that the suffering that we go through has a purpose. And that purpose is to prove our faith. And through that proof of faith that we give glory to God. And as that faith is being proven, we are in that moment of suffering still called to love and to serve the other members of the body. And the whole purpose to all of this, even in the difficult moments of life, is that we were found faithful. Are you faithful in those moments of suffering? Are you faithful loving on that person who, honestly, at this moment isn't lovable? Are you faithful in your serving? 
Are you faithful in your teaching? Because the things that we're experiencing now in the temp- temporary, temporary times as a sojourner, it's a constant reminder that we are a sojourner. A constant reminder that we are an alien. And a constant reminder that we have to be faithful. This was a hard week. At least for me, it was a hard week. And looking back on this week is just another reminder that this week I have to be faithful. Because sometimes in those sufferings, we don't respond the way we should. It's part of our fallen nature, right? The proof of your faith is when you get to the end of that moment, are you ready to be faithful today? You dropped the ball yesterday. You dropped the ball on Tuesday. You dropped the ball on Wednesday. Are you ready today to be faithful? Continue to push forward to be faithful. Remembering that we are sojourners. And we are aliens. The things that God has in store for us in the future are beyond comparison to the things we can imagine today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a reminder that we need to love fervently stretching forward to towards those even those that we don't want to love stretching forward to love them father father help us to serve to look for opportunities to serve when that opportunity comes in front of our face help us to slow down long enough to to want to serve in that moment to care for our brothers and sisters Father, this week, help us to strive to be faithful in those difficult moments this week. Help us to remember that the difficulties that you have given us, that you have allowed in our lives, you have given us to prove our faith so that we can give glory to you. Help us in those moments to give glory to you. In Jesus' name.